You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Steve. When I was in my early 20s, I had the opportunity to come to know one of my family members a lot better. Um, I had an aunt and uncle, Uncle Al and Aunt Marge, um, and they were actually my great, great, great aunt and uncle. They were my grandmother's aunt and uncle. Um, And they were already quite elderly when I was in my early 20s. Um, And they never had children of their own. Um, They had 30, 35 nieces and nephews um, and great nieces and nephews and things of that nature. But um, they had just been happy together. God did not grace them with children. And they had a a wonderful life. Um, My Aunt Marge never had to work. My Uncle Al worked three jobs um, and provided for them. And they just had a, a great life in their advanced age. My Aunt Marge had to live in a um, facility where she had care basically around the clock. Um, And so my uncle would travel every day to see her and he'd spend each day sitting with her and um, they would pray together. They watched Billy Graham. Um, They were, uh, they would eat together and then at the end of the night he would leave. Um, And I only knew them briefly just through these interactions when I'd go to visit my aunt, um, family get-togethers, things of that nature. Um, But it was at this time in my early 20s that my Uncle Al went out to check his mail in January and slipped and fell and broke his hip. Um, And so it was a really big deal because now he couldn't go to see his wife every day. Um, But also at 85, I think he was at this time, breaking a hip is not the same as breaking a hip when you're 25. Right? It can, very often, it can pretty much be the end of mobility, the end of independence, kind of what would happen to my aunt. And so um, I had the opportunity at the time to take off from work. And so I was kind of the only family member in that spot. I had finished my first two years of college. My, I was just out of the Army, and I hadn't really jumped into a career yet. So I moved in with him. And for about four or five months, I lived with him. I helped cook him meals. We did PT together, got him up and moving around. And it was during that time, it was really, I'm sure he would have said it was a blessing for him because it helped him, you know, kind of get back up and moving. Um, I would drive him to go see my aunt at the hospital, things of that nature. Uh, But it was really a blessing for me because I really got to come to know him. We would, you know, play games, play cards, we'd watch TV together. He'd tell me all these stories of his life that I had never heard before. Um, Things he'd done, I mean, he'd been in World War II, he had worked for the State Railroad, he he played uh, a VA baseball game against the traveling Major League All-Stars. Like, all these things, I never would have known of this man. And and he was a very faithful man as well, and that kind of impacted me as I was just kind of coming to know Jesus myself. It was right around the time that that had happened. And so it was a real blessing for me. Um, I then ended up actually, um, he got to the point where he actually was able to move around with a cane and he was able to walk, he was able to drive again, which was phenomenal at 85 years old. Um, And he became more independent, but we we still remained very close. I would come and spend you know, time with him, afternoons, things like that, because we had just created such a bond. Um, and I went off to finish my college uh, a few years later, um, and I was up at Plattsburgh, and it was in the fall that I received a phone call that he wasn't doing well. Um, and so I drove down and 
um, he basically, my, my grandmother called me and she said, you know, your uncle's not doing well. And I said, all right, well, this was not a surprise. His health had been kind of declining. My aunt had passed away the year before. And to be honest, I don't think the two were much together without one another. And he said, and she said, well, he's asking for you. So I was able to come down and talk to him and kind of say goodbyes a little bit. I didn't know that that's what was happening at the time, um, but he did. And so uh, I traveled back up to Plattsburgh that afternoon, and it was about five days later that I got the phone call that he had passed. So I remember of any, everything of that night, I remember the sorrow and the pain that, flo that flooded through me. Right, the loss of this, this person that I'd become. I loved always as a family member, but I'd really built a strong relationship with. We relied on one another, we shared a lot. Um, and I remember vividly standing beneath a tree on Hawkins Pond in Plattsburgh um, at night and just staring out on a cold October night and just kind of pleading to God. I was very young in my faith at the time. Um, and just feeling so much pain and not really understanding, um, not understanding why this couldn't happen, why under not understanding why it couldn't be resolved very quickly. Um, you know, God is all powerful. God has everything in his fingertips. And why am I going through all of this? Why did I lose my uncle? All these questions kind of flooded my mind. I was filled with this sorrow and pain. We're picking up in John today with a very similar situation that's happening. And Jesus actually talks to the disciples and gives them a few answers that kind of would have applied to me at the time as well and applied to many of you who've been in situations where you are suffering from loss, where you're profoundly sad, where you are just struggling. Um, and he gives some, some pretty good answers on how God works during these times and helps kind of prepare us for it. And so I think that's a good piece to look at. Um, today's message I talked, I mentioned it's, it's in the midst of sorrow. And so we're actually picking up in John 16, uh, verse 16, where Sean left off last time. Um, and as we pick up, it's actually not really a sad time. We pick up during the Last Supper. And you guys are going, wow, that kind of is a sad time, Steve. Well, the disciples didn't call it the Last Supper. <laughs> they didn't know it was the Last Supper. <laughs> All right, we call it that now. Right? But they were celebrating. They were celebrating Passover. They were celebrating the Lord's triumphant entrance to, to Jerusalem, which had just happened the weekend prior. Okay? They're celebrating being in the presence of the Lord, breaking bread with Jesus. It's actually sort of a happy time for them as they're sitting around this table. And it's in the midst of that that Jesus speaks to them. And all of a sudden says, hey, and we pick up in six, verse 16 um, through 19. It's up here as well. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. Don't be cryptic, Jesus. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty general, right? So some of his disciples said to one another, what's this he says to us? Right? That's not very specific. A little while and you will see me, and again a little while and you will, you, or a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you'll see me. And they said, and because I'm going to the Father, they remembered. Remember a little bit earlier in John, Jesus has said, I'm going to be with the Father. And so they're trying to make that connection now. 
So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? Like, that's not very specific. Is it tonight? Is it tomorrow? Is it three years from now? What's going on? We don't know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, but they hadn't. This is interesting because we do this too. Right? Very often we have questions. We don't go to the source. They could have easily just said, Jesus, what do you mean? Instead, they're all mumbling to each other around the table going, what's he talking about? I don't understand. Right? Unfortunately, um, swapping ignorance never really solves a problem. <laughs> right? None of them knew what was going on, and they're just asking each other. But Jesus, of course, knew what was on their mind. And Jesus said to them, um, you're asking yourselves, what do I mean by this saying? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So this brings us to kind of the first point that comes up in this scripture, right? And the disciples have a little problem with time. <laughs> um, it's the first thing that kind of throws them off. This little while, it causes confusion for the disciples, right? We don't like to be given generalities. We like specifics. We like details, right? And Jesus is mentioning this big thing. I'm going to be gone, and then you're going to see me again. But he starts it off with, in a little while, a little while I'm going to be gone. And then a little while after that I'll be back again. Well, it's not very specific. right? It leaves us open to uncertainty. And the disciples didn't like that. We don't really care for that either. Um, part of the reason it's said here is because Jesus sees this as united. right? He's kind of mentioning to them, they think he's talking about two different things. I'm going to be gone. And then after that, a little while, I'm coming back. But Jesus sees this event and knows that it's connected. Right? He's going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die, be buried, and then rise again. And then he's going to see all of these men again, as well as a number of other people, before ascending to heaven. Right? But he knows that that's a connected event. Right? That's the salvation that's what has to happen in order for salvation for all of us. So the timing necessarily doesn't really matter as much. And this happens to a lot of us. We get stuck on time. Right? They're going, what does he mean by a little while? Why did he say a little while? When the really important part here was, I'm going to be gone. But then I'm coming back. That was the super important thing, and they're not talking about that at all. Instead, they're splitting hairs and saying, what did he mean by little while? <laughs> this happens a lot, right? I can't, mention, I can't even list the amount of people, but if you think about it, in the last 40, 50 years even, but even over the last 100 or 200 years, very often people get stuck on times, on dates. right? There's an unmentionable amount of people that have tried to put dates on Jesus' return. Ever since, I mean, for hundreds of years now. And every time they're wrong. Right? They put a date and go, yep, this is it. He's coming back. And I mean, up to, there was a few people in the year 2000 said, that's when Jesus is coming back. And then it happens and it didn't. Right? Because the important part when Jesus is telling them here wasn't the time. Right? When Jesus spoke about his own return, he said, I'm coming like a thief in the night. Right? The important part being, you're not going to know the time, you're not going to know the date, so be ready always. 
But sometimes we get caught up on small details that really aren't as important. And here, the most important part was, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be leaving you soon, in a little while. And then I'm going to come back, and that's going to be amazing. But instead, we're going, what's a little while mean? Right? It's like if I came to you and said, hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars in a little while. And you ignored the million dollars and went, what does he mean by a little while? Like in five minutes or like tomorrow? What is he talking about? The important part was the million dollars I was going to give you, and you kind of left that all out. And so Jesus, we're going to see that Jesus kind of, as he focuses on them, he leaves out the time again because he wants to focus them on what's actually happening here. Um, this phrase, little while, a little while, we use it still today, right? Oh, I'm coming in a little while. You know, you coming to church today? Yeah, I'll be there in a little while. Right? But Jesus uses it purposefully. First, because it is a little bit vague. But secondly, it has connection. The prophets used this phrase. Right? Hosea used this phrase when he talked of Israel's coming judgment. In a little while, Israel will be judged. Isaiah and Jeremiah used this phrase in a little while when they talked of Israel's deliverance. Again, not putting, and, and when we know from the Old Testament, those were very wide-ranging dates and amounts of time. Isaiah used it again in Isaiah 29. He uses it from an eschatological standpoint. And he says, in a little while, the deaf will hear and the blind will see. So there's a number of different situations in the Old Testament where the prophets also use this general phrase in a little while. And now Jesus is using it again for his disciples. In a little while, these things are going to happen. But of course, they get kind of stuck in on it. And they're like, what do you mean a little while? I don't understand. Five minutes, ten minutes? Clear it up for us, Jesus. So he says, okay, I can see you're confused. I'll clear it up. So he moves on into verse 20, and he says, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, right? To tell you the truth, we can translate this a lot of ways now. It might be believe me, right? Or fact, this is a fact, listen, right? Truthfully, so he's kind of pulling their attention. Specifically, listen to me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now. I just told you I'm leaving, and you're going to be even more sad when it happens. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take that joy from you. It's interesting that Jesus answers their question of, what do you mean by a little while? Did you hear him say a time? He doesn't say, well, in 10 minutes. He completely ignores the question of time and instead talks about what's happening. 
The important part was here, you're going to be super sad. You're going to be in pain. You're going to be sorrowful. You're going to feel loss. And the world's going to rejoice. And there were people that rejoiced when Jesus was crucified. But I'm coming back. And when that happens, you're going to be happy. And this kind of brings us to our second point, which is sorrow's transformation. Jesus talks a little bit here about the parable of the woman in labor. Right? Something that many of, many of you here can kind of connect to. Um, we all know I've never been in labor. I will not be. All right? I'm, as a man, I'm just not going to have that. Right? But I have enough human experience to know it's painful. <laughs> I've spoken to enough women who've been through it, right? including my own mom, <laughs> to know that it's a painful experience. Right? Um, sometimes it's mentioned as one of the most painful things you'll ever feel. And it's not something that women necessarily look forward to. And he brings that up and says, listen, a woman giving birth is in a lot of pain, anxiety, confusion. There's all this stuff going on. But then when she gives birth to the baby, she's got just as much joy and love because a whole new person has been brought into the world. There's this person that relies on her, that needs her, that's looking up at her lovingly, right? That needs food, that needs sleep, right? All these connections are made. And these connections happen through the same situation. It's the same situation of giving birth, the baby that was causing all that pain and all that sorrow and grief just a few moments ago is now the same thing that's causing joy. This kind of brings up a principle in the Bible, and it talks about it right here. The principle that God often uses brings joy through transformation not through substitution. What do I mean by that? Well, for those parents in the room that have had small children, or anyone who's ever babysat or watched small children, right? One of the, what's something that can bring sorrow or pain to a small kid? Well, they've got a, a great toy, they're playing with it, they're quiet, they're you know, enthused, they're locked in and focused on playing with their new toy, and the toy breaks. Loss, sorrow, right? For a kid, that's the end of the world. It's your brand new toy, you just broke and now it's done. Like, what, what am I gonna do? They may cry, they may be upset, pout, you may get the lip, right? Sticking the bottom lick sticking out. Um, a lot of that might be right, kind of brought to, to the forefront because they've had this, right? Um, <laughs> Another thought might be a kid who has a playmate over, right? When you, bring, you first have a play date or a sleepover or whatever the situation is, right? Kids are great. They're loving life. They're trashing your house. They're watching TV. They're playing games. All sorts of great stuff, right? The second the kid has to go home, all of a sudden now they're sad. Oh, my gosh, I'll be alone. I'll be alone forever. You're going to school tomorrow. You're going to see the same kid. No, I'm done. It's the end of the world. I'm finished. Right? I remember as a kid having my friend over, and when his mom would come to pick him up, we'd go hide. And I'd be like, yeah, she'll probably forget. 
she's going to forget her kid is here? She came to pick him up, right? Um, I didn't say that we're thinking clearly. I just said that, you know, um, the fear of that loss. Uh, but as good parents, right, we wouldn't, as good parents, we would not substitute that. All right, the second a kid breaks a toy, we don't run into the toy box or to the closet. We don't send our spouse to the store immediately to grab a brand new toy to put in their hands to stop them from crying. Right? It's not, it, it may shut them up. <laughs> it may stop the sadness at that very second, but it doesn't teach them anything. That substitution, all it's taught them is that when I break things, people will fix them for me. I don't have to learn to deal with sadness. I don't have to learn to deal with loss. I don't have to understand that some things change. It's the same with the friend. If the friend goes home and the parents go, oh my gosh, the kid's so upset, and they, they call somebody else and say, hey, can Timmy come over? Or I line up the play dates. Johnny's leaving at 1, so Timmy will be here at 1.10 so that my kid's not alone. <laughs> it may, at the time, make the, make the child happy, but all it teaches them is that when there is loss or when there's crisis, someone else will fix it for me. We do this a lot. We often pray in a kind of our selfishness, in our immaturity, we'll pray to God for things that would fix things automatically. Right? We might say, we might, uh, sometimes we pray for things that don't even fix a question, right? When we have, God, can I get a Ferrari? Right? <laughs> well, if all of a sudden I had a Ferrari instead of a truck in the driveway, is it going to teach me anything? Is it actually going to fix anything in my life? Not really, right? I'm looking for a brand new toy. Substitution for solving problems is the way of immaturity. Transformation is the way of faith and maturity. And Jesus is trying to tell the disciples here, he's trying to prepare them and saying, you're about to have loss. You're about to feel upset. You're going to feel terribly upset. But change is coming, and through that loss, joy is coming. Because I'm going to die, because I'm going to, to be crucified, die, but then rise again, you're going to have salvation. The world has the opportunity at salvation. Phenomenal joy is going to be felt. But it comes through transformation from something that's going to hurt. And that happens with us as, this, this happens with us as well, right? When my uncle passed, I prayed to God, right? I prayed for him. I prayed that I would stop being sad, right? I prayed that I wouldn't miss him, right? God didn't substitute. God didn't give me a new uncle, <laughs> right? It would have taught me not much, right? Um, but instead, God did transform that loss to joy. It took some time. A little while, I could say. Um, it's been 18 years now since my uncle passed, right? But um, I wear this ring. This ring was my uncle Al's, and I wear it all the time. Um, and it was left to me. It was one of the things he left to me. 
Um, when I look at the ring, I don't feel loss and sorrow. When I look at the ring now, I feel joy. It doesn't remind me of his death. It reminds me of the experiences we had together. It reminds me of the times that we sat and talked, the things he taught me, right? It reminds me of the amazing legacy that him and his wife in 60 years of marriage left for me and my wife to look at. That's a lot of joy that never would happen if it hadn't been for the loss of him. So there's a transformation from loss, from sorrow to joy that happens. If I'd been substituted and automatically I had a new uncle, that wouldn't have happened. So very often when we ask for things and we don't get it or we think we don't get it, right? it's because it's, we're in a transformative state. God's working. Right? Things are happening that will lead to joy. But getting what we wanted that second may not do the trick for us. And God knows this. Jesus was already looking at this entire salvation process. And instead his disciples are going, well, what did you mean by a little while? Because that was kind of immaturity. They wanted to know now what does that little thing mean. Jesus continues after kind of pointing out the importance that's coming. And he says, In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, we have it again here, verily, verily, I'm telling you the truth, believe me. I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. Um, sometimes it says parables. It says, right, I've told you things kind of in, in, I, in, in these stories. Uh, the hour is coming when I'm no longer going to use figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and I've come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So Jesus started off by telling them, hey guys, we're in the middle of a, of a, a dinner here. Things seem kind of nice, but things are about to get bad. In a little while, things are going to get bad. But then things are going to get good again. Your sorrow, your pain, your loss will turn to joy. And then he continues here and says, the importance in this is prayer. How do we make this connection? And he has a real eye-opener here because he says to them, in that day, and now what's the day meaning? It's meaning after that stuff has happened. right? He just kind of basically gave them an image of not only their loss, not only the joy that's coming to them, but he's given them an image of the death, resurrection, salvation message that's coming. Right? It's the same thing that the, that the Old Testament discussed. It's interesting because Jesus uses the image of a woman in labor, and the Old Testament used the same image. But they used the image in reference to 
everything Israel had to go through is the labor and the birth being the coming of the Messiah. And now the Messiah is using the same thing and saying, this is what's happening right now. Now, how do we connect these things? And he says to them, after that, in that day, after I'm gone, we could even insert here, after I'm gone and the Spirit has come, because Jesus talked about that already too. After I'm come and the Spirit's with you, in that day, right, you will ask nothing of me, but you're going to ask the Father in my name. This is a completely brand new idea to these, to these apostles, to these disciples, to these Jews. Previous to this, to Jesus coming, prayer was done through sacrifice. You had to kill something to appease for your sin and then hope your message went through. And Jesus is saying, in this day, after this now, you don't have to do that. My sacrifice, we know that Jesus' death, his sacrifice on the cross, and then his resurrection from the dead, he took all the sin on the world on his own shoulders. He took all of our sin, everything that had happened and everything that was going to happen, he took on his account, and then when he dies and is resurrected, he took the place of that separation. He ripped that veil, and now we have direct access to the Father. We have a relationship access to God that they had not had. They weren't used to that. And he's saying, yeah, now you can just ask God. Just pray to the Father and pray in my name, because I did this. And the Father will listen. He says, pray directly to the Father, and the Father will listen. Right? Prayer leads to joy. Ask in my name, and, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Again, it doesn't mean that God's a genie. Right? We don't say, can I have a Ferrari? And it comes. But he says, if you pray, and you pray to the Father, and you pray in my name, your joy will be made full. God knows what you need. God knows the problems you're dealing with. God knows your suffering and your loss. And God will make sure there's a transformation. He says, and this was kind of a, a new piece, as I mentioned, this whole fact of praying straight to God. But it also took out the priest. Right? He says, don't just pray directly to God. He said, even I'm not going to pray on your behalf. Pray to God and pray, pray to the Father and pray in my name. Many of us have been taught through different, through different theologies, through, different, through, through many different um, thought processes or of, organizations of religion. We've been taught that we pray to others to pray to God for us. Right here, that's completely unbiblical. Jesus says, no. You don't need to pray to anybody to pray for you. Pray directly to the Father in my name. That's it. Why would the Father listen to you? And that's what probably was going through their name, their idea, because they've grown up with this huge separation between God and them. The separation of sin. 
Jesus says, why would the, would the Father listen to you? Well, I've said it right here. He says, you know, first off, I ripped away that separation. My suffering, my loss, my beating, my death on the cross took all your sin that was keeping you from God away. It washed it away. Challenge accepted, Dan. Nailed it. It washed it away. Uh, it washed it away. And because I died and rose again, if you believe in me, you have direct access to the Father. Not only do you have direct access to the Father, but when you, at one point, as you finish your earthly life, you will go to be with the Father eternally. We call that heaven. This is all available because of the sorrow you're about to feel. But think of all that joy. And you'll have that direct access relationship. It's a huge deal. And he says, why do you have that? Why would God listen to you? Why would God listen to me? And he says, because you have loved me. Because you loved me, the Father loves you. This is a little bit different. I know we, we've, we already touched upon John 3, right? John 3, 16, for father, the Father so loved the world. That was a little different love. That's agape. That's, that's, un, you know, that's um, agape love, which is unconditional. It's universal love. God loved the entire world. And Jesus is focusing on here and saying this, this is also a little different love. God loved the entire world. That's a very universal concept. It's a concept that applies to God and his love. Right? But it would be something akin to me saying, I love all of God's people. I do. I don't know all of God's people. But I can have love for them. Here he's specifically saying, because you loved me, and the love version he's using here is not agape, but it's philia. From, we get it from Philadelphia. Well, Philadelphia comes in, in application here, right? The city of brotherly love. This is a brotherly or relational love. And he's saying, because you loved me, because we had a relationship, we sat down, we had dinner together, we spoke, we knew one another, God now loves you like that. God now has a relationship with you. like you're sitting at the table, like your friends, just as you've loved me. That avenue has been opened for you. That's pretty amazing. Like I said, there's a difference there. I can say I love all of God's people. I don't know them. Philia is a different love. That would be like me saying I, I love Dave and Nan. I do love Dave and Nan. <laughs> Right? I love um, David and um, Sarah. I love Alejandro and Michaela. Right? And I'm not just picking some of you. I'm just throwing it out there. Right? I love Del and Donna. Don't tell your parents I used them as an example. Um, <laughs> I love Del and Donna. Right? Those people are people I love just as I love all of God's people. But I know them. They've been to my home. 
We've shared a meal. We've been in life groups together. I know what's going on in their lives. Right? They know what's going on in my life. There's a, there's a relational love that's, that's a different type there. And Jesus is saying, you now have that with the Father. So that's why he would listen. That's why you can approach him like that now. In my name. Because I, I open this for you that way. He then kind of wraps up. And he says, uh, and Jesus' disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Now? All these things you've seen Jesus do, you've heard all this teaching, and now it kicks in? <laughs> um, we're all in that situation a lot of times. Right? Jesus answered them and said, Do you now believe? It's interesting because I just asked the same question. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to your own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be problems. The world is going to hate you sometimes. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Faith from sorrow and joy. We've seen a transformation from sorrow to joy. We've seen the importance of prayer in that, in that relationship with God, and asking God to help in times of sorrow and loss. And now we see their faith connects to that. Right? There's, an affir there's an affirmation here of faith and understanding. Right? Jesus says, listen, behold, the hour is coming. Right? You now believe in the world you're going to have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? The Father is with me. There's a faith there that's being discussed. Jesus affirms that God never leaves us. He affirms that he didn't actually, right? We often think of the fact, because Peter brings it up, I'll never abandon you, and he says, you're going to abandon me three times, right? Um, before the, before the, the um, rooster crows, right? But re in reality, Jesus clears it up here and says, I didn't leave you, you left me. You all abandoned me, I never left. And God never leaves us, and Jesus is affirming that. Right? Even in times when you feel the world is against you, God's there. And I've overcome the world. He says, have peace. There will be challenges and sadness and, and loss. Right? But he, he kind of wraps this piece up by saying, have peace. Because the world has been overcome. You know that you're going to have challenges, you're going to have sadness, you're going to have loss. But joy is coming. At the end of everything, sadness, loss, joy, at the end of everything, we know that for those of us who put our trust in Jesus, we get to spend our the eternity with God. There should be a peace in that. So it's interesting that, you know, Jesus is facing a painful, horrible, violent death. 
We have a God who was facing what he knew was not going to be pleasant. Painful, horrible, violent death. Those of you who have seen things like the Passion, you know the graphic nature of what he had to endure. He knew he was going to die on the cross. He knew this was all ahead of him. But we have a God that instead of being like, you guys want to believe what I'm going to have to do, he took time here to comfort his friends. Knowing what he had to endure, he takes time instead to focus and to comfort his friends and his family. He focuses a little bit on how it's going to impact them and what they need to remember, right? He started, we started off, he's like, right now you're happy, but in a little while you're not going to be. You're going to be really sad, and you're going to feel terrible loss. But a little while after that, you're going to have joy. It's going to get better. Joy comes in the morning, right? as, as the song says. These things are changing. And the terrible thing will transform your sadness into joy. You don't really understand it now. It's funny because they go, we get it now. They didn't really get it yet. But they're going to. And he says, you're, you don't really understand it now, but is, even though you're going to be sad, it's going, to, it's going to be okay. And that's what he's doing, even though he's the one that has to go through all this. God loves us so much that he's, caring, he's, he's worried about how we're going to deal. If that's the heart of God, right, we should have no problems asking when we need help. Asking when we feel loss. Asking when we're suffering. And Jesus said here, ask in my name and God will give you joy. He will give you peace. I'm going to, in a moment here, I'm going to wrap up in prayer and the worship team is going to come up. Um, but keep in mind, when we've had loss, when we've had sorrow, when we've had challenges, Jesus died was resurrected, ascended into heaven, all for us. He's overcome everything. So as tough, as sad, as terrible as something might seem, there's always hope. And that hope is in God. That hope is in praying, pray to God, ask for help, ask for strength, ask for wisdom. Not a Ferrari, um, right? But ask for those things and God will help us even in the midst of our sorrow and our loss and our pain. Father, we just thank you for loving us, Lord. We thank you, we thank you Lord, for being the kind of God that wants us to know and understand that times of suffering and times of loss also can lead to times of joy and happiness. Um, Lord, the, the ultimate of that being your death and your, um, your crucifixion, your death, and then your resurrection, Lord, um, allowing for the entire world to be saved uh, for anyone who puts their faith in you. And Lord, I just pray that anybody out there today who hasn't put their faith in you, um, who isn't sure, um, you know, not sure exactly, are they saved? Or are they going to heaven? 
Lord, that you would just open up their hearts, open up their minds, and um, allow them to ask you for that, Lord, to ask for you to come into their heart and for you to um, help them, Lord. And then also, Dan and myself are around, that anyone who's questioning that could seek us out, um, and that we could, we could talk a little bit about that as well, Lord. There's nothing more important than the salvation of people. Um, we're talking about eternity here, Lord, and we just, we hope that that your words reach people and we pray that um, you continue to bless us lord and that you continue to allow your words to bless others um, we love you lord and we just ask this all in jesus name amen